Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck. Today, I'm joined by Tommy Joe Martins on the Social Spotlight. Now, Tommy Joe Martins, you may or may not have heard of. I wasn't very familiar with him at all until last year when he started writing a couple blog posts that got a lot of attention about what it's like to be on the other side of the garage. I'll give you a little example before we get into the Social Spotlight interview so you can see where a lot of uh, my interest in Tommy was coming from. He said, quote, we're not the best drivers in the country. We're the best drivers in the country that can afford it. All it takes to make it to this level is money. You want to be a NASCAR truck series driver? Write a check. If you're 16 years old, have ever driven a race car in your life and have about $50,000 to $150,000 lying around, then you can be a NASCAR driver. It's not about how talented you are. If you want to break into NASCAR, then you have two options. Be rich or be a great salesperson. Pretty strong and powerful words, right? And I think that a lot of us probably knew that that's the case, but to see it in print from a guy who's driving, um, that was something that got a lot of attention. And his blog posts, I would encourage you to go read them. They're still up on TommyJoeMartins.com slash blog and um, very interesting stuff. But I wanted to get some perspective from Tommy Joe about those blog posts, about his social media account, which he still um, uses to sort of you know, shed some light on the other side of the garage that we don't really talk about that much. So I hope that you will get some insight and value out of this interview with Tommy Joe Martins. All right, everybody, I'm here with Tommy Joe Martins. We're at New Hampshire Motor Speedway sitting in his holler with some very nice uh, linoleum floor looking like some green turquoise cushions that may have been used for a bit, would you say? Yeah, I, I would say it's uh, weathered. We'll say that. It's a. Uh, it's got a lot of character. That's yeah. another fun way of saying it, right? When I walk into a holler like this, I kind of think of like, wow, this was probably, I mean, I don't know, 20 years ago maybe or something? Like this was probably... So on the money, it was 1998. 1998 is when they got this trailer. Yeah, so this one's seen quite a few, uh, quite a few race weekends. So was this owned, do we know, like by... So a former cup teams or something? I, I'm not sure where they got it, Jeff. I, I, the first time I walked into this, uh, <laughs> up into the lounge area, I did kind of take a step back because whatever, you've been in some really nice trailers too. So it's fine. It gets you around. The thing is, is this is not where the race is won. This is just where we hang out. And so that's what we think about it. It's just all about purpose, you know, not kind of the fancy side of it. Yeah, I like that. Well, um, along those lines, um, you are uh, sort of a grinder. You're making it, uh, making it work somehow, um, and still sticking around, even though the odds uh, aren't always in your favor. You know, it seems like nobody's really handed you anything. And so, from a social media perspective, um, I've noticed that you aren't. You know, you, you convey that. You know, and, and a lot of people, I think, um, don't get to hear that side of the sport a lot. And so. You uh, are, are really good at, at letting people know, like, hey, this isn't all, you know, glamorous and everything. And I, I saw a recent tweet of yours where somebody was saying, oh, I bet you have a nicer house than I do from the money you made off racing. And you're like, actually, I don't get paid from racing. <laughs> I get paid from my job out uh, at driving school in Las Vegas. So what from that perspective, what's your social media philosophy in, in you know, the message you try to send out there? You know, I think I got called out for being 
a little bit of a shit stirrer last year uh, with a lot of the stuff that I did on social media. I had my blog that I wrote a lot about kind of our adventures through the truck series and, and our perspective on things uh, from a small team that like you're kind of referencing there. I don't think a lot of people had heard that story before. So it was kind of interesting getting a lot of the feedback from it. And, and I, I'm going to go and say and say it was 95% really positive feedback. But then there was also the side saying, well, you know, quit complaining and kind of like the comment you're referring to there, which is like, oh, well, you got it made anyway. You're going to drive the race cars. And look, I'm not looking to gift horse out of the mouth here at all. I know how lucky I am to get to do this, but I think the business model and the way all this works and how you get a ride and how you got a wheel and deal back here, it's just not, I don't think it's in a spot where it should be. You know, and I look at, at the other side of the garage, obviously it's, it's hard not to sit there and go, man, that looks really nice. I, I wish that not even me personally, but just the guys on the team had it a little better. I thought it was a little easier, you know, so it's, it's hard for me not to, it's hard for me not to press send sometimes when I see kind of the disparity that's, that's going on. So what, what kind of feedback in general do you get from people? Like, have you noticed that um, you're able to build a following talking about this kind of stuff? People like the underdog. Um, I mean, it's, 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 you know, you had a great story recently where you finished 11th at an Xfinity race. That was super awesome. Um, do you get, like, um, more of a following from that? You know, I just don't see it as a detriment. You know, I, I think everybody back here in the garage and, and the way NASCAR and I don't, I don't want to throw them under the bus. Let me back up for a second. NASCAR, the way they portray this is they just don't portray it. It's just not talked about. So it's not that they're portraying it in a bad light. We're just nobody's really talking about it. And, and with the media and everything, here's the, the crazy thing is I ran basically almost half the year in Xfinity 2014. I'd bounced around in the truck series a little bit before that. You know, I only had one media member ever even come up to me to even learn my name. You know, and so that... When you see that, basically, like if you're not aligned with a big team, if you're not a driver that's coming in with a PR staff and they already know kind of the way to get you in front of the people that just even introduce you to them. Where, where I was a kid, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. So I just think that's a little weird how the media kind of has handled that. I mean, you got basically half the garage area that nobody says a word about. And that just seems weird because this it seems like the stories back here are better. You know, like I could probably tell you 15 stories about Mike Harmon, how he's had a blowout tire on the side of the road and had to get a local, you know, gas station crew to come out and bail him off of the side. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's funny, yeah. especially when you got practice coverage. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, you want to talk about like Ty Dillon's struggles the last week he had a battle back from qualifying 17th. That's just not as interesting. I mean, just from a story standpoint. And, and so that's it. I just like telling the stories of everything that we had to go through. I just find it interesting. In, in a way, it was almost like, uh, it was cathartic for me because <laughs> it was like I was creating kind of my own narrative of the whole thing that I thought, really, if nobody else even read it, it was going to be my narrative and people were going to at least, it was going to be out there. You know, people were going to be able to find it. Well, that's interesting that, you know, social media has allowed people to do that, right? I mean, you wouldn't really have had a platform before to send that message out, even if you had started your blog uh, if you can't send the links out and get people's attention with it, there's no way to flag people down. So social media in some ways has given, uh, you know, a small team or a small, you know, situation, an opportunity to get a bigger spotlight in some ways. I had Sports Illustrated call me for a story last year where they wanted to attribute me in a story about Dale Jr. Uh, when he came out and said that he was going to take time off for concussions. Like, what chance did I ever have of doing that running 
25th in the truck race. Never. But I had a platform and I had credibility. So I had, I mean, I come from a journalism background. So for me, the writing part was fun and it was interesting. But the way that I framed it, it was, I was telling the story of the race, but it was in a bigger context. And I think people kind of, especially journalists like yourself and a few other people, especially when I was controversial and said something that stood out, uh, people wanted to latch onto that a little bit and go, okay, well, this is really interesting. Um, and I had the guy from Sports Illustrated call me and literally say, I would have never called you if you'd been sending out press releases. He's like, what you did was so interesting. And, and I had the credibility because I was out there full-time. I was a full-time truck series driver, had our own little small team, and I was writing all this stuff that was pretty eye-opening stuff. And I, I thought it just caught a lot of people's eyes. And quite frankly, if I hadn't done it, no, you, you probably wouldn't be sitting here, Jeff. And, and that's what it's weird to me. It's like we would have still finished 11th the other night, but nobody would have even probably known my name. It would have just been something you wrote off and you'd probably talk to another underdog that finished up there. But just kind of the way that I branded myself, even though it's probably not a conventional way, at least it was an effective way where at least some of the media now and other team owners in the garage know your name. Right. And that's the biggest thing. You, you just cannot be irrelevant. That's it. In any professional sport, but especially this one, in a sport where you need sponsors and you need eyeballs on you to be able to attract them or owners to give you a shot. They got to at least know who the heck you are. Um, and unfortunately I think we're at a point now where you just can't do that. Just driving. There has to be something else that's interesting about what you're doing. And I think that's what allowed me to, to get some attention, at least some notoriety. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Cause I, I saw your blogs and, uh, saw them a couple of times. I wasn't following you on Twitter at the time. And then basically, you know, I was like, wow, he has so many interesting, interesting things to say. I guess I'll, I'll follow him on Twitter too. So it's like, yeah, that really opened a lot of doors. Um, probably, you know, or as, as far as people know who, who you were and stuff. Um, that said, uh, you don't seem to do the blog uh, anymore. Why not? I didn't do the blog this year. And I'm, you're not the first person to ask me that. There has been so much indecision from us that I, I couldn't even put together a coherent story. It would have taken me three weeks to ride out one of them because it was, okay, we're going truck racing. Okay, well, now I'm going to get a ride with MDM at Daytona. Well, now we're doing our own thing at Atlanta. Well, now we're not doing anything. And, and now Brandon Brown is running our truck at Martinsville. And now we're trading the number to another team. And then I'm getting this opportunity with BJ. And I get that all of those are kind of individual stories, but to me it just didn't even make sense. And, and I do want to write something on the opportunity that, that BJ has given me here because it has been just absolutely tremendous. Um, but honestly, you know, it's kind of hard for me to write about happiness. <laughs> That's kind of this weird place that I'm in is it was, it was easy for me to write about the despair. I think it's tougher to write about just how happy I am with the situation I'm in right now. And, and, and I've been really thankful, but that, that almost sounds repetitive because everybody's thankful, you know, that doesn't stand out. I mean, everybody over there, like we, we joked about the other side of the garage. Well, yeah, they're happy. They're going to do it and everything's comfortable. Everything's cool. And so when I'm sitting here going, man, I'm, this is the best situation I've ever been in. Everything's happy. Everything's cool. I think that's worth like probably one like where somebody goes, nice. Tommy Joe finally got a good shot. Good for him. And then after a while, you're like, eh, I kind of miss the old Tommy Joe probably where he's writing and ranting and raving. Because, I mean, when you get a following from writing controversial stuff, which I wasn't always trying to be controversial. If anything, I was just trying to be really open and truthful. And some of that might have come across as controversial. When you get a following from that, I think there's a need to have to keep doing that. And I didn't want to always be the guy stirring the pot. And so I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back. 
probably step into it. If, if I ever see anything that really makes me go, man, we have got to change this, then I got to say something. It might not be long form journalism like I probably was doing. I mean, good grief. I wrote a few posts that were probably about eight or nine pages on my laptop. So probably not doing that, that extent, but uh, I'm going to tweet about it. I'll say something about it. And I don't know if you're allowed to say, but um, when you're putting that stuff on social media, obviously NASCAR is seeing it as well. Some uh, high level people are seeing it and you're writing about the economics of the sport not being so great. Uh, did you get any blowback at the time uh, when that was going on? When I wrote the problem, which was kind of the big one last year, I made a very critical error as a writer is I should have published the complete thought at one time and I broke it into two parts. And so when I released that as part one, it didn't really end in the greatest place. It was pretty damning. And I actually think <laughs> we could probably look back and find the tweet because you quote tweeted me on that one and said, wow, this is tough or something like that. And I was like, oh, boy, this is probably going in a negative direction here. And I got a lot of positive feedback from that because I think I said what a lot of people were feeling. And I maybe I put some backbone to it. But it didn't do a very good job of explaining the reasoning for it was because I love NASCAR so much and I'm so passionate about it and I care about it so much. And I think I did that better in the second part. So I should have just released the whole thing. But but I, it was like so long. It was like 10 pages long. And I went, man, nobody's going to read this. And in fact, Johnny Sauter's wife came up to me at Bristol, said she read it. She said, man, I love this. This is so great. She said, I made Johnny read it, which Johnny... You know how stubborn that guy is sometimes. And Johnny said, he goes, it was good. It was too long. <laughs> Typical Johnny Sauter, pretty short to the point. He, he was right. And that was like one part of the blog, not even the whole thing. So uh, I think I did the right thing breaking it up, but I did the wrong thing. And so when I did that little cliffhanger there in the middle, obviously that didn't sit super great with NASCAR. Uh, they didn't love that. And they called me and said, we just wish you had chose you know, we just don't see how this helps the sport, which I, you know what, honestly, I think they got a pretty good point. Probably didn't help much, but I made them talk about it and at least maybe got the discussion going if nothing else happened, but they were right. They said, we don't want to find you for conduct detrimental stock car racing. So they were actually pretty nice about it, but it was also kind of a heated talk. I think all the way up the top of the food chain. And that's kind of crazy to think that, man, I wrote a blog on my personal website and there was like this inner circle meeting between like Jim Cassidy and Brian France and all these guys. Like, what are we going to do about this? I'll probably put them in a weird box, you know, because it was like, dude, if they find me 15 grand, I'm probably out of business. So then how does that look? So it's like they were in a no win situation and I stirred it up. So I, I probably didn't make myself look a lot better. And they were saying, how does this help you? This makes you look like you're just, talking crap about something that you're doing and so after that there was kind of a tipping point moment where i was like okay probably i need to think about this a little differently uh, that was probably the worst one uh, but like claire lang had me on her show saying nascar said they're not going to find you and here's some drivers backing you up saying you were right and so it was just this big weird thing that happened for like three weeks and i could just see everybody in the garage area looking at me different and it's so weird because it's like i'm a driver i'm not here i'm not trying to be a writer like, that's cool. I enjoy it, but I'm trying to be respected as a driver. And it kind of like shifted the narrative for me in this weird way. 
So uh, for people that don't know uh, a lot about your background, I'll include myself in that, how you got started in racing and all that stuff. Um, what's your story? You know, how did you get latched on to, to racing in the first place? So I started racing go-karts when I was young. Typical story as everybody else, but not as young as everybody else. I started when I was 16. This is in Mississippi? This is local dirt tracks, Mississippi. This is like Meridian, Pontotoc, Water Valley, I mean, small town, Mississippi, dirt track racing and stuff. And we ran WKA. We ran a few select events. We were pretty good. I think we finished in the top 15, and it was me and my dad. We didn't know what the heck we were doing at all. So your dad didn't have a racing background? None of my family has had a racing background. This has been me since I was little. I've been the only one that's ever cared anything about this. And my dad has played along because he's got a successful business, and he's been able to finance 99% of this. And that's why I'm sitting here. That's why I get to do this. And I've been, I, I don't know why so many guys have run from that, honestly. I mean, I'm so thankful that my dad has let me do it. The thing is, is we just don't have as much money. If my dad had multiple millions of dollars, I would be over there with RCR. Without a doubt, I would. But I, we don't have that. We only have a few thousand dollars. And so that's why we're sitting here in this very eclectic trailer. Uh, but we ran late models. We did that over there in the Nashville Fairgrounds area for a long time. Ran ASA in 2009 something called the ASA Challenge Series, where we ran big tracks, man. We ran like Rockingham in a pro late model, like wide open the whole way around there. And like Nashville Super Speedway in a pro late model. So kind of crazy stuff. Came close to winning a few races out there, really close. Kind of a heartbreaking stuff. Memphis Motorsports Park was one of them. Sat on the pole, broke track record there. I think that thing still stands. Actually, I think we're still holding on to that one because <laughs> that's kind of a home race for me over there near Mississippi. Um, did that. And then finally, we, my dad kind of made this kind of, decision which is we don't have a lot of money so if we're going to go do this we might as well go do it at a high level i'm just going to buy a couple of trucks and let's just go run trucks and that was kind of a foundational shift for us where we were like well tommy joe's not going to get picked up by a team because we've already had teams come to us and say well yeah we want you to bring a couple hundred thousand dollars for the year and so we learned that and we went so this just isn't going to happen unless we just do it and so when we got that mentality shift of we think it's worse for Tommy Joe to just be running around local levels, even if he's competitive and winning, nothing's going to come from it. So if he wants to get to NASCAR, we've just got to go. And we did that with our late model team in 09. We ran four races, finished like around 20th. Didn't do that great. I mean, but not bad. I mean, this is when the truck series was pretty good. I mean, that 36 truck showing up, and we were around 20th every single time we ran. That's pretty good for a late model team, and, and I had never done it. I mean, literally my first race in the truck, we took it out of the trailer at Nashville Fairgrounds. We ran it out there in an open late model practice in a Camp World Series truck. I ran two laps, and they said, Woo, take it easy. we gotta, we got to load this thing and run tomorrow. And that was it. I got two laps worth of practice before my first truck race. They wouldn't even let me have a license if they knew that. And so I did that in 09. Ran ARCA a couple races just at Daytona. Uh, so we just kind of bounced around. 2014, we took a real shot at it. We wanted to run in Xfinity full-time. And we tried to do it from Nashville, which is a small team. That was a horrible, horrible decision. And NASCAR was making so many design changes to the Xfinity cars back then. Aero package and everything. We felt like we were changing the car. We spent so much money changing the car and running back and getting parts and everything. Our guys are just so worn out. We had a small team. It was just an absolute mess. Our equipment probably wasn't good enough anyway. Uh, we kind of set them up to fail. And so then we took another shot at it. 2016, we came back. And, and so I've had a lot of people ask me, and they go, well, what makes you think you deserve to be out there in NASCAR? Quite frankly, I think a lot of guys deserve to be out here in NASCAR. They deserve to be. But unless you just go make it happen, 
yourself, it's probably just not going to happen. So, like, I see guys that, man, I have so much respect for, like Bubba Pollard and Jeff Choquette and a lot of these kind of guys. And I just wish that one of them would do kind of what we did, which is just just go buy one truck. Just go buy one and one motor, and it's going to cost you a little bit. Yeah, it's probably going to cost you sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars to do it, but then you'll just have it, and you could go run four or five races a year in the short tracks or something. I just like to see that, and, and I think unless NASCAR can get to a point where that point of entry isn't quite as high, the car isn't quite as much, the engine isn't just quite as much, the per race cost isn't quite as much. If you did that, I think you would see guys like that take a shot. But right now, the point of entry is so high, it's just really tough to get those guys in here. So that's what we did. We just kind of took a shot, figured out, okay, maybe if we can just finish and not tear it up every time, we can come close to breaking even and only lose a little money. And so we've just kind of done that for a few years. And so you are here racing in New Hampshire this weekend, but you had to come here and leave your day job, which is in uh, Las Vegas. I understand you said you've been there for a few years. Yeah, I have been. And that's just a deal where that's like the dark secret of, I don't know about over there on like the, we say on the, like on the good side. I'm sure that some of those guys are getting paid, but you got to think about who's paying them. Is it the team paying them? I'm sure in the case of the cup drivers, it's the team paying them. And they see them just like any other artist, right? Like if you owned a, whatever, a, a, ballroom and you said okay i'm gonna get adele to come play tonight well the expectation is you're paying adele but you think you're gonna sell enough tickets that it's gonna make you money and i'm sure they view kyle bush the same way like okay we're gonna pay kyle bush but we think we're gonna sell enough sponsorship that we're gonna make money on this same thing in xfinity they see him as a property and that's fine i mean he is and he's unbelievably talented but some of these other guys i'm just not sure because i have always had to bring at least some money to be able to run like with the bj mcleod i mean he's whatever he's basically put me on a silver platter here type of deal i'm basically running for him for nothing and so this is without a doubt the best deal i've ever had in my entire life uh it just doesn't come around for a lot of guys that's basically it yeah so i'm like i'm not making anything but we're not really losing that much money either i mean we basically help him out on a little bit of the tires and a few other little things but it's just not as nearly as much as what we're spending on our own team and i don't make any money from it but we're not really losing a lot of money so it, it's been a great deal and i'm sure a lot of guys probably say the same thing and so i don't know how they're getting paid like if they're bringing sponsorship to a team they would probably have to take a cut out of that for them to make money and so i just the way the business model is there is just really strange and i just don't think a lot of people know that uh, or maybe they don't want to know that i mean you think you're a professional athlete I mean, I guess I am. I don't really see myself that way. I'm a race car driver. I don't feel like I'm a professional athlete. But we are racing in the second highest series in the country. I mean, this is it. You know, like we're equal to IndyCar ratings-wise. Like this is it. There's only one more bar here. And for three quarters of the garage to not be getting paid as drivers, that's just weird. That's just this weird system that I mean, it, and I sound like a crybaby when I'm saying it because it's like, well, I want to get paid. Well, yeah, we probably should get paid racing at this level, yeah. you know. So the people that are following you um, at your Tommy Joe Martin's account at Tommy Tommy Joe Martin's on Twitter, how does this end? Like, are they gonna uh, are they along for this ride and they're gonna get a happy ending, um, or what, how do you see this going for yourself uh, over the next few years here? Okay. 
we got to think of the end goal here. So for me, I'm 30. And I look around, I see William Byron. He's 19, and he's a badass. And he's a great kid, too. He's awesome. He's going to get a cup ride at Hendrick. So if I'm thinking I'm going to get a cup ride at Hendrick, that is the wrong thought. So realistically, all I could hope to do is grow enough of a following that I could raise more sponsorship for myself and really not even go to a better team or anything. That's not even really the goal here. It would just be have a career. Just have a career. I'd like to do this for five or 10 years and get to drive and then shift into the business of the sport because I love that part of it too. As tough as it is and as crummy as it is, it's almost like banging your head against the wall. It's like, how do you, how do you make money with a business that only loses money? Like, how do you, how do you do that? You know? So I guess part of me kind of enjoys the challenge of it, but that's it. I mean, that's my career trajectory here is just hang around, get to race. I'd like to race full time and be in the points. That's really the main thing. Even if it's on a small team, even if it's for BJ or next year, just run full time and just see where we wind up finishing the top 20 in points a few times. And really more than anything, man, I learned a long time ago, I'm probably not going to get a chance to win many races. And I just know that running in the middle of the pack for smaller teams, you're not going to get a chance to win. But you do have a chance to gain a lot of respect in the garage. And so that's kind of currency for me is if I can get other team owners and respected people in the garage to go, you know what, Tommy Joe's a pretty good driver. You know, he's got a goofy name. He talks a lot on Twitter, uh, but he's a pretty good driver. And I know that if I got him in my car, he's going to take care of it. He's going to get the best he can out of it. He's going to bring it back to me in one piece and not do anything stupid. And a lot of the other drivers respect him. Well, that's about the best situation I'm going to find myself in. And I'm 30 years old. I'm kind of in the middle of my career right now, probably. You know, I got a late start on this deal. I'm kind of in the middle of it. I see it ending probably five to 10 years if I'm lucky. But I think that's a good trajectory. I wouldn't look back on that and go, man, that was a bummer. If I got to race in NASCAR at the higher levels, trucks, Xfinity for 10 years, man, what a, that's really cool. So I'm, I'm not, I don't have any crazy ambitions here, but I think it's going to be a bumpy ride because it always is running where we're running. When you're running for a small team, there's more bad days than good. So if you're following along, don't worry. I'm probably going to satisfy your taste for blood here because it's probably just going to be more bumps in the road. Well, thank you for joining us. Thanks for sharing your story and, and shedding some light on all you go through. I think it's been very interesting for people who follow and um, appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Jeff. It's awesome talking to you. So there you have it, everybody. And obviously, a great reminder, not only to those of you listening, but even to myself, obviously, that there's a lot of other stories out there than the ones that get the most attention every week. And I think, you know, the underdog stories like Tommy Joe Martin's are really, really interesting and compelling and uh, something that should be covered along with the big names every week. So shortly after I send this podcast up into the internet world, post it on the website, send it to iTunes and all that, I will be packing up and heading to the airport to fly from Portland to Philadelphia, where I'm going to be out there for the next uh, 10 or 11 days, whatever it is, and returning after Watkins Glen, um, saving a little money by staying out in between. And apparently the weather is bad in Philadelphia, so I wasn't going to fly out until Friday and then I got a notice saying, hey, you'd better fly out today. You can change your flight for free. So I'm on a red eye heading to Philadelphia overnight. And I hope to see those of you at Pocono and Watkins Glen at the next couple tweet ups. If you're interested in helping the podcast and you wouldn't mind leaving a review for it 
on iTunes. Uh, that would probably help me. I think the more feedback, um, the better you can do in the charts and get uh, become more reputable and get better guests and all that stuff. So um, anything you guys can do as far as a review, I'd appreciate that. Of course, there will be a post-race podcast after Pocono. Not sure who the guest is going to be for that yet, but hopefully you can tune in Sunday night for that. But until then, thank you so much, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.